0: Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every Good work. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Let's join our hearts together in a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we we pray now as we come to the preaching and hearing of your word that you will be glorified and your people would be edified. We pray as we come to a monumental text, a text of great importance for us and our Christian life, that you would teach us, and you would apply these truths to our hearts, that we would be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. And we pray that you would help us in these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We saw last Sabbath day the reality of The scriptures are able to make a person wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. That is, the preeminent purpose of holy scripture is to make someone under God and for his glory wise for salvation. If it hasn't done that, it hasn't done its primary purpose. The primary purpose of scripture is to make a sinner who is lost, dead in their trespasses and sins wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And so we saw that that was the first thing that the word of God did to Timothy. It made him wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. We will now see that not only do the Holy Scriptures make a person wise for salvation, they give them everything they need for their believing and their behaving, for their faith and for their practice, for their doctrine, and for their devotion. Everything that we need for the Christian life in our beliefs and behavior can be found in Holy Scripture. And so the most important book for an individual, for a church, for a family, and even a nation, is the written Word of God. We must be a people of one book primarily, and that is the written Word of God. I have a decent bit of books in my personal library, not many, as many as some people do, but I have some, but it's hard for me to say to someone, you must read this book unless I'm talking about the written word of God. There's a lot of books that would be good for you to read, that would be helpful for you to read, that would be encouraging for you to read, but if I'm going to use the word must, that you have to read it would be hard for me to say that there's a book you must read unless it's the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments. That is the one book that we must know above every other book. And if a man knows that book and doesn't have a great library, he's going to be just okay. As long as he has the illumination of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean we don't read others because we're not the first ones to read the Bible. But it does mean that above everything else, the book that we need is... The Word of God, the Holy Scriptures. That is the book that we need. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I'll stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. The famous child song, but it's a lot of truth. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. Yes, the B-I-B-L-E. And so this is the book that we need. This is the one, this is what we need to hide in our hearts so we might not sin against God. And so if someone was going to ask you the most important book, we should automatically, without even having to take a second thought, it should be the written word of God. The written word of God. And so the main point of this sermon is, all scripture is inspired by God, profitable and sufficient. All scripture is inspired by God, Profitable and sufficient. My first point, inspiration of Scripture. Inspiration of Scripture. My second point, profitability of Scripture. And my third point, sufficiency of Scripture. So again, my first point, inspiration of Scripture. Verse 16 begins by saying, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. We know first and foremost that this has to do with the Old Testament because that's the Scriptures that Timothy knew that made him wise for salvation. And so first, in its first application, it's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. All of those scriptures are given by inspiration of God. From Genesis to Malachi, all those books, all the 39 books of the Old Testament are given by inspiration of God. They are all breathed out by God. They are all the very breath of God. But if you turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, We see this reality of this language of scripture being applied not just to the Old Testament, but to more than that. 2 Peter 3, starting at verse 14. 2 Peter 3, starting at verse 14. It says, Therefore, beloveds, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation as also our beloved brother paul according to the wisdom given to him has written to you verse 16 as also in all his epistles speaking in them of speaking in them of things in which are some things hard to understand which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destructions as they do also the rest of the scriptures so peter says here that Paul, in all his epistles, there are some things in Paul's epistles that are hard to understand. And those who are untaught and unstable, they twist those scriptures just like they do the other scriptures. They twist them just like they do the rest of the scriptures, saying that Paul's writings are scripture. And therefore, when Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, it includes not only the Old Testament canon, but the New Testament canon. All scripture... What we now know is the 66 books, 39 of old, 27 new, Genesis to Malachi, Matthew to Revelation. All of those scriptures, all scripture, Old and New Testament, is given by inspiration of God. Now the question is, what does the Bible mean when it says inspired? And as some have put it, I think rightfully so. When we say the Bible or the scriptures are inspired by God, we mean that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. So what the Bible says is what God says. When, it, when the Bible says it, God is saying. We have silly things said in our day when people will say, well, Jesus never said anything about it. Paul said something about it, but not Jesus. As if what Paul said is not the word of God. And so what Paul says, what Jesus says, what Moses say, what Isaiah say, if they're writing canonical scripture, they are saying what God says. And we can say, when Paul says it, thus says the Lord. Just for clarity, some of you might be reading, but there not there a text, Pastor Sam, that says, I say it, not the Lord? <laughs> you might be familiar with it. Well, what he's saying is Jesus did not say this explicitly in his earthly ministry. But he's not saying that it's not inspired by God. He's saying, Jesus didn't talk about this explicitly in his earthly ministry. I'm saying this as one who's been given wisdom from God to communicate God's will to the church. But all of Scripture, Old and New Testament, are given by inspiration of God. And therefore, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And let me turn you a few texts as we think about this reality. If you turn with me to Matthew 22, about the reality of inspiration and what that means. Matthew chapter 22, starting at verse 29. Matthew 22, starting at verse 29. This is in the context of the Sadducees coming to him about the resurrection and the man marrying and the wife dying, marrying again, all the way up to seven. Whose wife will he have? Who will be his wife in the resurrection? That's that's the context of Jesus saying this. And so in Matthew 22, in verse 29, it says, Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. Of God, That could be a very much a, a description of liberals in our day. You don't know the scriptures, and you don't believe in the power of God. You deny miracles, and you don't even know the scriptures. That's what he's saying about the Sadducees. And then he says, verse 30, For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of God in heaven. They don't become angels, but they're like angels in the sense they don't get married. People don't become angels when they go to heaven. People put on Facebook sometimes, God gave them their wings. That's a lie. People do not become angels when they die. People are like angels in the sense they don't marry or give in a marriage, but they don't become angels. They stay human. They stay human. Verse 31, though. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, listen to what Jesus says. Have you not read what was spoken to you by God? Saying, and then he quotes the Old Testament. You see, he says, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? He doesn't say he was spoken to you by Moses. He says, by God. Have you not read what was spoken to you by God? And then he quotes in verse 32, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when he, the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. So we see this reality that Jesus quotes the Old Testament. And he says, have you not read what was spoken to you by God. You would think he would say, have you not read what was written to you by God, which would still have a strong, foyer, uh, a strong uh, thrust to it. But he says, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? So Jesus says, when you read the Old Testament, it's God speaking to you. And have you not read? Have you how, how do you not understand that God will not raise the dead? Because have you not read what was spoken to you by God? That God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. He is not... I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so we see this reality. Jesus says that reading the scriptures is hearing God speak to you. And that's why he would say to Satan, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, if you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3, we see a similar emphasis here. Hebrews 3, starting at verse 7. Hebrews 3, starting at verse 7. Hebrews 3 and verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and then he quotes Psalm 95. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion In the day of the trial in the wilderness. I'll stop there. It's a quotation from Psalm 95. But he says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. And then he quotes the Bible. So he's saying Psalm 95 is what the Holy Spirit says. God, the Holy Spirit is saying these things. As the Holy Spirit says. And so Jesus says things like, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? the writer of Hebrews, so I take the Apostle Paul, it's a sermon by the Apostle Paul, but whoever it was, that's not the argument now, he says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. And so the word of God, or the scriptures, are what God has said to us, and what the Holy Spirit says. So then, when we, when we say that all scripture is inspired of God, or breathed out by God, or God breathed, what we're saying is, when you read the Bible, it's God speaking to you. When you read the Bible, it is God speaking to you. And that's why Justin Peters, his famous quote, if you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. If you want to hear God speak out loud, read your Bible out loud. Because in reading and hearing the Bible, we are hearing God speak to us. And that, should, that makes a lot of what we think about our authority. God is the authority. And so his word, his very voice is the authority. This also means that the Bible must be infallible, it cannot fail, it cannot err. Why? Because it, not only God will not lie, not only God chooses not to lie, but God literally cannot lie. And therefore, if it's his very voice, it, it's impossible for the book that he has given by inspiration, that he has breathed out, to be with errors. And so the Word of God, which is inspired by God is his very breath. And when the Bible speaks, God speaks. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All of it is given for our learning, our admonition, as we will see. But first and foremost, that the scriptures that are given to us by God are nothing less than his very voice to us. And all of us are going to have, and we'll get into this more, but all of us are going to have a final authority. If two things contradict, one of those is going to usurp the other. And either it's going to be our man-made ideas, or it's going to be thus says the Lord. This is why it's so ridiculous for Rome, the papists, to say that you can have tradition and the word of God equal, because if they contradict, one is going to be above the other. Something is going to be the authority in our life and it must be as Christians nothing more and nothing less than thus says the Lord. Have you not read what was spoken to you by God? And so that's what we mean that the scriptures are inspired of God and therefore we can call the Bible the Word of God as it's called in places. We can call it the Word of Christ or we can call it the sword of the Spirit because it is God's very voice it's the word of Christ the good shepherds and it is the sword of the spirits some people who are not what we could call cessationists or believe in continual revelation they they think that if you believe if you have such this view of the bible where is the holy spirit in all this well beloved brethren the bible is the sword of the holy spirit's and therefore, by following the precepts of the Bible, we are following the Holy Spirit because the, the Bible is, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. So we cannot separate the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, but the Word of God and the Holy Spirit go together. As one has said, I think, very profoundly, if you have the Spirit without the Word, you blow up. If you have the Word without the Spirit, you dry up. When we have the Word and the Spirit, you grow up. You need both. You need both. But the Word of God itself is... The sword of the Holy Spirit. And so in Scripture, we get what, ex- what the Holy Spirit wants for us. And so all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. And now my second point. Profitability of Scripture. Profitability of Scripture. So all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And then there's four things that the Bible is profitable for us. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Those four things, the Bible is profitable for us, for us. And first, doctrine. The Bible is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for teaching, It gives us everything we need to know for what we ought to believe. Everything that a Christian must believe. Everything we must know about God, about creation, about the fall, about redemption, about consummation, about how we got here, what's wrong with the world. Everything that a Christian needs to believe is found in the scripture. There's nothing that you will need to believe. Nothing that you would need to know. To be pleasing to God or to have a saving relationship with God that is not either explicitly given in the Bible or necessarily contained in that book. There's nothing that a Christian would need to know that is not found in the scriptures. It especially gives us what we need to know about creation. That God, the triune God, made the world in the space of six days and he made it all very good. That God made Man, made mankind male and female after his own image to glorify and please him. It teaches us about the fall. Why, what is wrong with our world? Well, the Bible has the answer. The, the, what's wrong with our world is sin because man chose to go their own way. and It teaches us much about, fall, about sin. Why? Because we need to know why is there disease? Why is there death? Why is there sorrow? Why is there misery? Why is there murder? Why is there mayhem in our world? Because man chose to go away from God to his own way. And so it teaches us about the fall, about man choosing their own devices and going their own way. And then it teaches us much about redemption, that God in his mercy and grace provide a savior, even our Lord Jesus Christ, who was born of the Virgin Mary without sin, who lived a life of perfect obedience to God's law, who died the death that his people deserved under God's wrath and curse, was buried in the grave rose again, ascended to the right hand of God, forever makes intercession for his people, coming again, that whoever believes upon him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so it teaches about creation and and fall and and redemption and then consummation, when Jesus returns at the last day to judge his enemies and to save his people, that it it teaches us much about what God will do when he makes all things new, when he brings in the eternal state for the ungodly, the lake of fire, and the eternal state for the godly, the new heavens, And the new earth. Where we are resurrected and living in a redeemed earth. Because the meek shall inherit the earth. And so this is what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us doctrine. That it teaches us how to be saved. That's verse 15. And it teaches the believer sound doctrine. People sometimes, and I've made this point before, will say things like, I don't really care about doctrine. The irony of that statement is... You might ask them, well, who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is God in the flesh. Bing, 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 we got doctrine. Because whenever you say anything about God, who he is, what he is, what he's done, all you're doing is saying doctrine, teaching, truth. And what does Jesus say? Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And so if we can't, if we don't care about doctrine, we don't care about truth. Because all doctrine is, is truth. And it's interesting, too, when we think about what love is, because some people say, well, I, just want, I don't care about doctrine. I just want to love people. Well, love, according to the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, this is one of its definitions. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices with the truth. So people say, I just want to love people. I don't care about doctrine. Then they're saying, I have a different definition than God does of love. Because God's definition of love is you love the truth, and therefore you give people truth. And doesn't, and some people say, I, I want to be loving. I'm not, I know you're concerned about truth. I'm concerned about loving. The Bible doesn't let you make that, dis, that disconnect because the Bible says you're speak, supposed to speak the truth in love. The truth in love. And so doctrine is, is everything in the Christian life because what is the Christian life but believing in the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And God is the God of truth. Jesus is the truth, and the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And so doctrine is just believing and receiving all that God has given us in Scripture. But there's nothing that you would need to believe, know, acknowledge, receive, that you cannot find either explicitly said or necessarily contained in the Holy Scriptures. And so the Scriptures are profitable for us for doctrine. They give us what we need to know for doctrine. But second, God's word, the holy scriptures, are profitable for reproof. Profitable for reproof. Which this means the Bible is meant to show us where we're wrong. The Bible comes to us and says to you, when you read it, it says, you are wrong about this and you need to change. That's that's one of the purposes of the Bible. That's what it means to reprove us. Where it shows us where we're in error, whether in our beliefs or our behavior in our faith or in our practice, in our doctrine or our devotion. The word of God comes and it reproves us. It says, you're not doing this, but you're supposed to be. You're doing this, but you're not supposed to be doing this. And it shows us our error. That's one of the reasons why God has given us the Bible, so that we can know where we are wrong. Sometimes we can feel when we see areas where we're, where we're not doing right, we can feel like this is terrible. And there can be that conviction and that, of why haven't I been doing this all along? But in another sense, positively, you can say, this is wonderful that now I see that I was doing this wrong so I can change. So I can stop doing this or start doing this. Because we should be those who desire to hear what the word of God says and not change the word of God to suit us. But we should change because of the word of God. Some people, this is what happens. They realize or they they think they're doing something wrong. And instead of humbly submitting to God's word and changing, they change God's word to make it so they don't have to change. They twist the scriptures. They put their their own pseudo fake interpretation so they don't have to do what God says. Instead of saying, this is what the Bible says, I'm being corrected or I'm being reproved by this and I need to submit my whole soul to the word of God. I'm going to make it say something different. That is a lot easier. The harder thing is to humbly say, Father, thank you for showing me when he reproves us. God's word is meant to reprove us in our sin. We aren't supposed to read the word of God. And when we know we're doing something we ought not or doing something we shouldn't, we shouldn't feel comfortable with that. But the word of God is meant to reprove us, to show us our error so that we might be aware of it. But thankfully, the word of God doesn't stop there. It also corrects us, which is that language of putting something back into place. The Word of God shows that our arm is out of place, it's dislocated, and the Word of God also pops it back into place. And so it not only reproves us by showing us our error, but it corrects us by showing us what is right and the way we ought to believe. So it, it shows us, Pastor Sam, you're wrong about this. You, you're believing this wrong, but this is the way you ought to go. And not, It takes us by the hand and say. I know you're going the wrong way, but let me show you the right way. It takes us by the hand and gives us the paths of righteousness for God's name's sake. It actually shows us the way we ought to go. It shows us the truth of what we ought to believe and how we ought to behave. It corrects us. It doesn't leave us to say you're wrong and then we just have to wallow in that. It shows us where we're wrong and then shows us the way where we can repent and follow God's path. Follow God's path. Some of you might have heard this story before, but uh, a way that I'm going to give an example where the word of God reproved and corrected me. I I don't know exactly how it was. I was a teenager at this point, and my mom was pregnant with number six. So I'm number one, and she was pregnant with number six. And I was very upset that she was pregnant with number six. We have enough kids. What are you doing? Where I, I was... What is going on? We, we have enough, we're good. And so I was with her and I realized she was pregnant and I was, I was upset that she was pregnant again. And I expressed that, that I was not pleased that she had another baby in her womb. And that was sinful for me to do that. But that was my real thoughts when I was a teenager, when she had another baby. And through my understanding more and more of God's word, I realized that was sin, That was wrong for me to to be angry at something God calls good. But not only did God reprove me and show me my error, he also showed me what I should feel about children. That they're a gift. They're a reward. They're a blessing. They're actually something to be prized and not set aside. And so the word of God reproved me. It showed me my error and it corrected me by saying, you have a terrible view of children right now. This is the way you ought to think about children. From a burden to a blessing. From a something that you should hate to something you should love. To something that you should seek to forsake to something you should receive with gladness. And this is what the word of God did to my heart. And it's done this for other things as well. Because my life in, in Christ has been a lot of conforming more to the word of God. Because I didn't, I didn't grow up in this type of environment, this type of church environment. I grew up very differently than this type of church environment. But what has my life been? Been reproved and been corrected. And I, I don't look back and upset about that. That's just been my life. Some of you might know this, but when I was in college, legitimately thought Joel Steen was a good preacher. Legitimately, not even joking. God has done a lot of reproving and correcting in my life. <laughs> but I'm thankful for that. To go from that to where I'm at now. There's been a lot of reproving and correction, but I'm thankful for that because God hasn't left me to be in my own devices. And by God's grace, my desire has been Obviously not perfectly, but my sincere desire is if I see in the word of God, I want to do it. Even if I haven't done that before, even if that hasn't been my practice in the past, even if I've only seen people do it a different way, if I see in the word of God, that's what I want to do. And that should be all of our desire by God's grace. Of course, no one does it perfectly. I'm not saying I do it perfectly. I want to grow in it more and more of having a humble spirit of saying, God, this is what you say. No matter the cost, I want to do what you say. Even if it makes other Christians look down upon me or ridicule me or even if I'm not accepted in, uh, amongst people that I should feel accepted by other brothers and sisters in Christ I'm willing to obey you and leave the consequences to you because that's what the word of God does it reproves us, it corrects us it, it shows us where we're wrong and then points us where we ought to be this is the purpose of the word of God and so if you're always looking to the word of God to validate you and, and so you don't have to change and you're not reading it correctly It is encouraging when we're doing something, and it does validate us. There's nothing wrong with that. If we see that in the Word of God, this is what we should be doing, it's okay to be encouraged, but we should read the Word of God so that we might know the way we ought to go. And if we're in error, we should see our error and be corrected. See our error and be corrected. This is also why God has given other men and pastors and teachers throughout the ages to help us to understand God's Word better. Maybe we didn't see something that they did and they're able to help us and apply God's word to our hearts. And so this is what the word of God does. It reproves us and it corrects us. It reproves us and it corrects us. And there's no area in your life where you have seen the (laughs) word of God reprove you or correct you. You have to ask yourself the question, when God saved you, did you become sinless? (laughs) If the word of God's never reproved you or correct you, we don't become sinless when we get saved. We should ask, there should be a growth. I mean, it is a wonderful place to be in a a steady, anchored place where you're grounded in the word of God and know what you believe and and are convinced because of biblical reasoning. That's a great place to be. But we should always be willing and open by this book to be reproved and corrected. To be reproved and corrected. That's what the word of God is meant to do for us. It's inspired by God so that we might have sound doctrine, reproof when we're in error, and correct it when we need to be put back into the proper place. This is what the Word of God is meant to do. But also it's meant to instruct us in righteousness. The Word of God is to instruct us in righteousness, which means that in light of the Word of God giving us sound doctrine, what we ought to believe, and reproving us and correcting us, it continues to lead us in the way we ought to go. It continues to help us and shape us and form us. Because God saved us through the person and work of Jesus Christ for this reason, that we might be holy. For other reasons, for his glory, because he loves us, yes. But also because he wants us to be holy, because he wants us to be righteous, because he wants us to walk more and more away from sin and more to righteousness. And this doesn't mean when we stumble and fall that we're, we're, we're lost forever. We repent, we confess, we make things right, but our desire should be that we want to be instructed in righteousness so that we might more and more and more and more walk in God's ways. We, we read and sang it this morning. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's what God does for us. He, he leads us in the way we ought to go. And Jesus died and rose again for you if you're his sheep so that you will be holy. that you will be righteous. That's a wonderful thing about the Christian life. He doesn't just forgive us of our sins and leave us there. He forgives us of our sins and sets us free to walk in his ways that we might be more and more and more obedient to God through Jesus Christ because of his great love for us. And so this is what the word of God does. It gives us what we need to believe and how we ought to behave. The word of God not only shows us how to be saved, but how to live a faithful life in Christ. Some people, they, they, they say, all I care about is knowing how I can get to heaven. That's all I want to know. How can I get to heaven? And yes, we want you to know how to get to heaven. But we also want you to know how to live faithfully on this earth while God gives you breath. The word of God gives you both. Yes, how to be saved, but how to live faithfully in every sphere of life. As a father, as a mother, as a husband, as a wife, as a child, as a sibling, as a worker, as a homemaker. Whatever you are giving, the word of God gives you doctrine and practice of what you should think about those things. Doctrine and devotion. The scriptures are perfectly sufficient to give you everything you need for doctrine, reproof, correction, and for instruction in righteousness. This is what the word of God is meant to do. It's meant to lead us in these things. Now my third point. Sufficiency of scripture. Sufficiency of scripture. Verse 17 says that the man of God may be complete. May be complete. This is where we, get, we could say so that the man of God may be sufficient. That through the word of God, through the holy scriptures, we are complete for every doctrine. Everything we need to be reproved on, everything we need to be corrected on, everything we need to be instructed in righteousness, the word of God makes, the man of God completes. The man of God is a technical title in the Bible. If, you, if you've read the Old Testament, uh, you'll, you would see things like, or in reading the Old Testament, I should say, in reading the Old Testament, you'll hear things like the man of God. Sometimes you don't even know his name. It's just, there is a man of God. That was a technical title for the prophets, for ones who are set apart by God to, in a unique way, speak his word. And this, now this title, this title, man of God, is directly applied to New Testament ministers of the gospel. And so in a technical sense, men of God are New Testament ministers. But we know from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3, that ministers, elders, are to be examples for the flock. So if it makes the man of God complete, it certainly makes the people of God complete. If it makes the man of God, gives him everything he needs for doctrine and devotion, for belief and behavior, it certainly gives all the people of God because he is simply to be an example to the flock. And so the word of God makes us complete. It makes us complete, the man of God and the people of God. So there is nothing, beloved, that you need to believe or nothing you need to do that cannot either be found explicitly in the Bible or necessarily contained in the Bible. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that we need that cannot be found in Scripture. This is so freeing because there's so many people, whether in false religions or or other Christians that are just not uh, maybe as informed, saying to things, you ought to be doing this, you should be doing this, you must not be doing this, you can't be doing this. And we want to say, but my conscience is held captive to the Word of God, not your man-made traditions. My heart is captive to what God has said, not what you say. And it's freeing to say, my conscience is only bound to do what God says. If you can show me in Scripture where I need to do this, I will freely do it. Please, show me in Scripture. I want to obey God, but I don't want to be captive by every whim and fancy of doctrines and commandments of men. But there's so many people, you ought to be doing this. You ought not to be doing this. And if they are saying us from Scripture, yes, we ought not to be doing it. We ought to be doing it if it's from Scripture. But if not, we're free. Our conscience is free. I love how our confession puts it in chapter 1, paragraph 6. It says, I'm just going to read the first part. It says, quote, The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the Holy Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation of the Spirit or traditions of men, end quotes. Everything you need for God's glory, your salvation, your faith in life, is either expressly set down in Scripture or necessarily contained, therefore we shouldn't add anything to it. Or our chapter on liberty of conscience, Christian liberty and the liberty of conscience, one of my favorite chapters in the whole confession, chapter 21, paragraph 2, quote, "'God alone is Lord of the conscience.'" Let me pause there. That is so important. God alone is Lord of the conscience. I'm not Lord of your conscience. Other churches aren't Lord of your conscience. God alone is Lord of your conscience. If I'm telling you to do what scripture says, then yes, you must obey it because God tells you to do it. But if it's just me with no biblical basis, you're completely free. You're completely free because I only have authority insofar as I'm giving you the word of God. Because God alone, not Pastor Sam, not any elder, not any person in the entire world, no Pope, of course, is Lord of your conscience. God alone is Lord of your conscience. So let me continue. God alone is Lord of the conscience, and hath left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men, which are in anything contrary to his word, or not contained in it, so that to believe such doctrines, or obey such commands out of conscience, Is to betray true liberty of conscience. And the requiring of an implicit faith and absolute and blind obedience is to destroy liberty of conscience and reason also. End quotes. So God alone is Lord of your conscience. He's you are free. You are completely free from the doctrines and commandments of men. And how do they find doctrines and commandments of men? Anything that's contrary to God's word or not contained in it. We are completely free. Our conscience is only bound to the word of God. This was one of the marching orders of the Reformation. It wasn't a new doctrine, the Reformation had been confessed before, but they were reasserting it with vigor that we are committed to sola scriptura, scripture alone, sola scriptura. That's our final authority, the scriptures. Because I said before, you're going to have a final authority. And when two things contradict, what's going to be your final authority? God speaking to you in scripture or man-made traditions? What's going to be your ultimate judge? What's going to be the ultimate authority that you go to and say, this is what I'm banking my life on. And according to this text, it must always be the holy scriptures. It must always be the word of God written. I want to read our confession again because our confession has so much good to say about this. This is chapter 1, paragraph 10 of our confession. This is the chapter on scripture. Quote, the supreme judge by which all controversies of religion are to be determined and all decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men and private spirits are to be examined and whose sentence we are to rest can be no other but the Holy Scripture delivered by the spirits in the which scripture so delivered our faith is finally resolved. End quotes the supreme judge of any controversy in religion, any controversy of belief and behavior, what is our supreme judge? The Holy Scripture. It makes the man of God complete. It makes the man of God complete. And so we must be dogmatic, or as Steve Lawson would say, bulldogmatic, about the sufficiency of Scripture. That everything we need to be pleasing, to know how to be saved, to know how to glorify God for our faith and practice, our faith and life. Everything we need to be complete is found in Scripture. Everything that you need to be able to walk in the path that God wants you to walk can be found in Scripture. And this is why we must be people who more and more know the Word of God. Sometimes people, because the hard work of knowing what to do is, is reading the Word of God, praying, getting godly counsel, a lot of times people will Go the easy route and say, I know this is God's will, not because I've searched the scriptures, but because I have a peace about it. Because I feel a subjective inward peace or because I'm, I'm just following my, my gut. Or, or they'll say things like this of, I know this is God's will because I heard the Lord speak to me. We don't find God's will through those ways. And you know why people say that? Because a lot of people think this. I think this might be, maybe people aren't always thinking it consciously, but I think it's in the background. Who's going to say to someone and say, God didn't speak to you? It's, a lot, it's hard for people to say that sometimes. Because if someone says, the Lord spoke to me, I know this is what God wants. Because the Lord spoke to me, it takes a lot of courage to say, no, I don't believe the Lord spoke to you. Because that's contrary to his word or not, or not contained in it. But people, instead of searching and heeding the word of God, it's a lot easier to say, I feel peace about it. Or the Lord spoke to me. This private reality to my own heart. But it's by the word of God and the word of God alone that we are made complete. And then also it says, we are thoroughly equipped for every good work. Not some good works, not most good works, not many good works. Every good work. It makes us complete for every doctrine that you need to believe and every good work that God wants you to practice. Everything that you need to know is found in scripture. And it's not in scripture God doesn't want you to do it. Out of conscience, as as an act of devotion to him. Scripture is sufficient to equip us for every single good work. Every belief, every behavior is found in Scripture. It's found in Scripture. Our confession puts it like this. I know I've been reading it a good bit, but it has wonderful things to say about these things. This is on the chapter of good works. So we're talking about the word of God making us thoroughly equipped for every good work. Chapter 16, paragraph 1. Quote, good works are only such as God hath commanded in his holy word. And not such as without the warrant thereof are devised by men out of blind zeal, or upon any pretense of good intentions. End quotes. Good works are only what God's commanded in his word. And people, even if it's, even if they have a zeal for God, even if they have a desire to please God, if it's not based on scripture, you know what God calls it? Blind zeal. Blind or zeal without knowledge. Or even if they do it upon good intentions, their intentions are right. Their desires to honor and glorify God, their desires to be pleasing to God. If it's good intentions but not based on God's word, it doesn't matter how good their intentions are. It's not a good work before God. Because the word of God and the word of God alone thoroughly equips us for every good work. But what does the scriptures, as we saw more last week, but to, to bring this home, what do the scriptures primary always want to point us back to? the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because how are we motivated to love doctrine, to be willing to be reproved, to be corrected, to be instructed in righteousness so that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work only through Jesus Christ? That's the key motivation. Because he loved me and gave himself for me. Therefore, I want to know his truth. I want to be reproved. I want to be corrected. I want to grow in righteousness. I want to be thoroughly equipped for every good work because he laid down his life for me, one of his sheep. Because the love of Christ constrains me. It's the love that Christ had for me that constrains me to want to be more godly. It's Christ, his person, his work. His office as a prophet, priest, and king. His willingness to die, the accursed death upon the cross, to be buried, to be resurrected. That's what motivates me to want to please him. Not to please him to earn something. Not to please him because I feel like if I get enough brownie points, he might let me into heaven. No, God forbid. We want to please God because he loved us. We love him because he first loved us. It's not we love God and therefore he might love us back. It's God already loves us in Christ. And therefore we want to show our devotion to him by being willing to change any practice and any belief to conform to scripture. Because of his love for us. If he would willingly suffer the cross for us, is it too hard for us to lay down something that we've been doing for him? if he was willing to endure the forsakenness of God upon the cross and experience his divine wrath for us and for our salvation, is there anything that we cannot put aside for his glory? If he would do that for us, the glory of the cross should be the motivation that we have to want to live a life of faithful doctrine and faithful devotion, faithful believing and faithful behaving. It's because of his great love for us. And this also frees us as well because some people can feel burdened when they hear new commands from the word or or they grow, thinking that somehow their relationship with God wasn't good before. And now it's somehow, now they're accepted by God because they're growing in their sanctification. Beloved, our relationship with God does not depend on our amount of sanctification, blessed be his name. Our relationship with God depends on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And yes, we want to grow. Yes, we want to be more holy. Yes, we want to be more obedient. But it's not as if when we were saved and we didn't know many of the things maybe we know now, that somehow God didn't accept us. God accepted us the same way He does now, even with all of our knowledge and obedience that we desire to have. He, accept, he accepted us the exact same way. No difference whatsoever. Because our acceptance back then when we were first saved, when our mind was foggy about many things, when we might even look back and say, how could I ever do that or practice that or be a part of that? We look back and say, blessed be God, my justification was the exact same. Because back then, my acceptance was the exact same as it is now, the person and work of Christ. And you know what? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You changed, but he didn't. Mm. And therefore, your righteousness stayed the exact same. So your acceptance before God is not based on your level of sanctification. And you know what, beloved? If you really understand that, that won't make you passive in sanctification. It'll make you more active. Because you'll say, if you love me that much, that my acceptance is the exact same. How can I not plead a loving master like this? How can I not want to give everything I can to be more faithful in what I believe and more faithful in how I practice because of his great love? So that we might hear, well done, good and faithful servants. And so it should be our great desire to conform our life to God's word because of his great love for us. Because of his matchless love in and through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so what is the scriptures preeminently about? It's about the sufferings of Christ and entering into his glory and us living a life pleasing to him because of his sufferings and glory. Because of all that he has done for us. And therefore, when you do see something that you need to that you do get reproved about or corrected whether by a sermon or by reading or by whatever it might be your heart shouldn't be oh god must not love me it should be god you love me so much to correct me not only to save me from my sin but to correct me so that i may be more faithful to you that's why god shows us our errors and and corrects us and so now to bring it even more to application if you're here without the lord jesus christ he is the main purpose of the bible And the Bible cannot really be helpful to you unless you first have come by God's grace to repent and put your trust in Jesus Christ. Until you know Christ, the Bible is a closed book to you. Because only through Christ can you have the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And so you need Jesus Christ to save you, to rescue, to redeem you from your sin. So that you might be able to use the Bible as God wants you to. But without Christ, it's a closed book. As John Owen said, without the Holy Spirit, we might as well burn our Bibles. And what he meant by that is without the Holy Spirit, we cannot understand it, apply it, or live by it. The Bible is a closed book if we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But through Christ, the Bible can truly become your very bread. A great treasure to you to hear it and to heed it. But only through Christ, only through Christ can the Bible become a treasure book to you. So that you might know the way you ought to walk and live because of Christ's great love for you. What's holding you back? What's stopping you? What's keeping you from repenting and putting your trust in Jesus Christ? What's stopping you from believing upon the resurrected Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the Savior of your soul? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today and you will be saved. And then for God's people, for the saints Do you believe in the inspiration and authority of the Holy Scriptures like this text demands of you? Do you believe that your life must be submitted to God's word? That God alone is the Lord of your conscience, and therefore, but he is the Lord of your conscience. He is the alone Lord of your conscience, but he is the Lord of your conscience. You're not the Lord of your own conscience. God is. And therefore, you must come under the authority of his word. For everything you believe, for everything you behave, must be submitted to God's word. Now, when we practice things, we must know why we're doing it according to Scripture. We must know why we're doing it according to, to God's Word. And I'm afraid there are many times where people are doing it because that's what they've always done, or they don't know any different, or they, they got it from somewhere, or they saw other people doing it, and they have not searched the Scriptures to see if this pleases God. To the law and to the testimony. If they don't speak according to this Word, it's because there is no light in them. Isaiah 8, verse 20. We must go to Scripture. And then you have to ask, are these uses of the word of god have an effect on your life are you growing in doctrine are you growing in being reproved and corrected and instructed in righteousness are you designed more and more to walk in god's path are you desirous to know what you ought to do to please a god who so loved you through his son jesus christ and do you believe that everything you need to know everything you need to believe everything you need to practice is found in scripture don't let someone take your conscience captive don't let me take your conscience captive And don't let any other man take your conscience captive unless he's giving to you, thus says the Lord. That is the only thing that you are to be taking captive to, the Holy Scriptures. When a man is giving you the Scriptures faithfully uh, unpacked and applied, God is speaking that to you, and therefore you're bound to keep it. But you're not bound to the traditions, commandments, and doctrines of men, only the traditions, commandments, and doctrines of God that he's given to us in the Word of God. That is our authority. And so what should you do with a sermon like this? If you say, Pastor Sam, I want to be more devoted to God's word. I want to have it reprove me and correct me more. I want to be more instructed and righteous. I want to be better in doctrine. Bathe yourself in the word of God. Listen to sermons. Read good God-centered books that help you understand the word of God. The only one you must read is the Bible, but other books can be very helpful to help you understand. You should be talking to others about the word of God. What a great way to learn it by telling others about what you're learning, talking to others. And so if you want to grow in your knowledge of God's word God's word, there is no easy task. There's no easy formula. There's no take this pill and you, you get sound doctrine and sound practice. It's the consistent meditating on God's law day and night. Because only then will you make will only then will you be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever you do shall prosper. And so you must bathe your mind and your heart in the word of God. Not just by reading it, but listening to sermons. Reading good books about it can be helpful by talking about it with others. The word of God is our standard. And so therefore, as I said earlier in the sermon, not original with me, but if you have the Spirit without the word, you blow up. If you have the word without the Spirit, you dry up. But when you have the word and the spirits you grow up. May we love the word of God as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Amen. Our Father, we pray that you would bless these truths, that we would love your word more, and that you would teach us what we ought to believe and how we ought to behave through your word. In Jesus' name, amen.